Jesus, I long for you to do a work in my heart and to do a work in the heart of every person sitting in this room and in and every person watching online. Lord, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts so that the joy that we see in the faces of children receiving an Operation Christmas Child box could be gripping our own hearts. That we could be blown away with wide-eyed wonder at what you have done for us, Jesus. That, Jesus, you would take your word and you would press it down into the core of our hearts this morning so that from our hearts would come out joy, wonder, worship, amazement, awe, not at us, but at you, your glory, your greatness. Jesus, I'm powerless to make that happen. But Father, you have said you love to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. So Dad, I'm asking. I'm asking for you to send your Holy Spirit to help make your word come alive to every hearer, including me. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're uh, walking through the book of 1 Peter, and we're in 1 Peter 5, which means we're almost to the end. We're so close. But listen, when we finish 1 Peter, we're only going to change a number. We're going to go to 2 Peter, and we're going to finish the year walking through 2 Peter. But right now we're in 1 Peter, 1 Peter 5, and we're learning how to live with and for Jesus in the midst of a culture that's increasingly hostile to our faith. So this is God's word to you and to me. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. Casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever, Amen. This is God's word. Now listen, you know this about me. I, I'm really kind of messed up. And I think about really strange things sometimes, sometimes even in church. So let me just tell you something that occurred to me this morning as I sat over there in the first service. Joe was talking about local heroes. And I was picturing one of us this week getting pulled over for speeding. 
and rolling down the window and saying, thank you so much, officer. Here's an invitation to my church. We're having a local heroes event just for you. It could happen, you know. I mean, we, we, some, of us, some of us have not yet had our right foot sanctified particularly well. But what about other stuff that we might do this week? I mean, what if you really blew it this week? Now, I asked you this last week. Listen, if you really blew it, I mean, you really failed big time. What's the first thing you would want to do? Is the first thing that you would want to do, would you want to run to Jesus and tell him about it? Or would you think, you know, I know I need to go to Jesus and confess this sin, but, but probably I should hedge my bets, and maybe what I should do is I should build up a track record of obedience, and then after I've obeyed Jesus a few times, I'll have enough cadre that I can go and tell him about this failure that I've done. Is that what you do? What I want you to believe is that the gospel... Jesus Christ makes it possible for us to believe that God right now will accept you and me in his presence with all of our failings and in his love he'll forgive all our sin, declare us righteous in his sight, and get this, when that truth of the gospel begins to penetrate our hearts. Do you know what happens? We begin to rejoice and to praise and to thank and to want to tell others about the one Jesus who has set us free from the penalty of sin and who set us free from the power of sin. And we look forward all the more to the time when Jesus Christ will come again and he'll eliminate even the presence of sin. Now what I want you to know this morning is that you and I are on the winning team. You and I are on the winning team. I don't know what happens in your life. Maybe you stay up until 1 o'clock in the morning and watch all the football games. Maybe you stay up until 2 o'clock in the morning and you watch all the baseball games. I can't. But you know what I do? I wake up in the morning and I open up my phone and one of the first things I do every day is I check to see who won. I want you to know, if you're in Christ, you don't have to check. You've won. You've won. Listen. The most sold book in all the world is the Bible. The second most sold book in English is a book called Pilgrim's Progress. And it tells the story of a man who comes to understand his need to escape the, a place called the City of Destruction which is a picture of our fallen world. And he wants to arrive safely at the heavenly city, the celestial city. And along the way, he comes to understand the gospel. And along the way, he comes to understand Jesus. And along the way, he discovers the church. 
And the way he discovers the church is at a place called the palace. And in the palace, he's told that he can find a place to rest as he goes along his journey. But he's warned that there are lions that guard the way to the palace. And he is going to be afraid of the lions. It says, I saw in my dream that he made it haste and went forward that if possible he might get lodging. Now before he had gone far, he entered into a very narrow passage which was about a furlong off the porter's lodge and looking very narrowly before him as he went, he saw two lions in the way. Now, I see the dangers that I had heard of. And then in parentheses, Bunyan says, the lions were chained, but he saw not the chains. Then he was afraid and thought also himself to go back, for he thought nothing but death was before him. But the porter at the lodge, whose name is Watchful, perceived that Christian made a halt as if he would go back and cried out to him saying, is thy strength so small? Fear not the lions, for they are chained and we are, pl and are placed there for the trial of faith where it is and for discovery of those that have none. Keep in the midst of the path and no hurt shall come unto thee. This morning, I'm a watchman. This morning, I'm going to take this passage and I'm going to call out to every single one of you, believe in Jesus. You say, well, I've already believed in Jesus. Are you believing in him now? Because you will hear roars. You will hear roars. And when you hear the roars of the lions of our culture, when you hear the roars of the lion of your own sin-sick heart that want to say to you, you don't measure up, you're not holy enough, you're not involved in ministry enough, you're not good enough, you don't give enough, you don't read your Bible enough, you don't pray enough. When you hear those lions, I want you to remember it's chained. It's defanged. You, through Jesus Christ, are on the winning team. You're on the winning team. Now, I want you to see two things. There's a winner. That's how we get on the winning team. Not because we're winners, but because there is a winner. We're going to find out who he is. And then there's a whiner. There's a whiner. And we're going to find out who he is. So who's the winner and who's the whiner? The winner. Verse 11. Look at verse 11. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Who is that? It's Jesus. Jesus Christ is the winner. We're going to see more throughout the message of what he's done to win. But Jesus Christ is the one who gets the glory. Jesus Christ is the one who gets the praise. Jesus Christ presently, currently has dominion. He has power. Maybe that's how your translation 
describes it in verse 11. To him be the power. The New American Standard translates it dominion. It, is the, it means this. Harold uh, or Abram Kuyper said, There's not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is Lord over all, does not exclaim, Mine. Does that include you? Do you believe that when you wake up tomorrow morning and you step into your home as a, as a mother or you step into the marketplace as a woman ministering, serving, leading in the marketplace or you go to work in the marketplace as a man, are you following Jesus? When you go into your schools as a student or as a teacher or as an administrator, do you know that that is under the dominion of Jesus? Do you know that when you follow Jesus into government, that you're doing that under his dominion, under his authority. And when you're in local law enforcement or you're in the medical field, you're doing that as a healer, as a protector, as someone who's pursuing justice or faithfulness under the authority of Jesus. You say, well, look, all I do is cut grass for a living. That's not what you do. You express the glory of God in providing beautiful places for people to behold his glory. Now, it's, it takes some work to get there in our thinking, but we get there when we begin to see Jesus in all of his power, in all of his glory, reigning presently. Now, here's the roar. Here's the roar. Well, that's good for you, but really, just keep that private. Listen, just keep that between you and your Christian friends. And, and listen, if you want to believe that you're going into the marketplace for Jesus, that's cute. But look, keep it to yourself. That's the roar. Jesus might be fine for you, but listen, don't think that, that you have the right to make a claim on everybody else's opinions. That's the roar. And what I want you to believe is that what this book teaches about Jesus is really true. He has dominion forever and ever. Amen. He is Lord of all the earth. He is chief amongst all creation. He's the head over all. What's not open to us is to believe that he's just a good moral teacher who's okay for us, but doesn't really command all the resources of the universe. And C.S. Lewis, in Mere Christianity, says this, I'm trying to prevent anyone saying that really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a good moral teacher, but I don't ex accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be 
a lunatic on a level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit on him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He didn't intend to. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Do you believe this? And to the degree that you believe it, you'll be able to answer the whiner. To the degree that you understand that Jesus is the winner who has victory over all things, you'll be able to respond to the whiner. Now listen, when my kids were younger, there was uh, one particular kids movie. I don't remember the name, but the, there were superheroes and then there were villains. And there were sidekicks. Was it Sky High? I think it was Sky High. In the movie, the villain <laughs> takes all the superheroes captive. And what he has is this ray gun that turns them all into babies. And in the end, the superhero or the, the villain gets shot with his own ray. And he goes from being very, very dangerous to sitting in diapers. And that's what we need to do with the devil in this passage. He seems so scary. He's a lion prowling around, looking for someone to devour. But what the gospel does is the gospel decreases him and turns him into a whiner. Now, you say, Dave, come on. You don't really believe in a real devil, do you? I mean, come, haven't we grown beyond this as a culture, as a society? Are you kidding me? Do you see any evidence in yourself? Do you see any evidence in the world around you that there is a malevolent, evil force that wants to destroy God and his people and wants to rob people and devour people and take people away from their joy as people made in the image of God? Do you see any evidence in the world that evil exists? Yes or no? Yes. Is it more or less likely that behind all that evil, there is a figure who has been opposed to God and his purpose and been opposed to God's people and their purposes in the world from the beginning? And is it possible to do something about this figure, the devil? The answer is, does it make more sense to believe it or to not believe it? It makes far more sense to believe there's a devil than to not believe there's a devil. Now, listen. Some of us read too much Christian fiction in our teens. And we see the devil everywhere. Our car doesn't start. It's the devil. 
We get in an accident. It's the devil. We lose a sale. It's the devil. But listen, don't make the opposite mistake of not believing that there is a figure named the devil who is opposed to God and his people and wants nothing better than to draw us away from God, if he could, and to devour us. Now, what do we do about it? Well, to understand that, we have to see what his strategy is. Look at his strategy. Your adversary, the devil. See that in verse 8? Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He's called an adversary. Now, that's a legal term. It means that there's a courtroom in heaven where... There's a courtroom where you're brought up to be charged. And the one who brings the charge, the one who brings the accusation against you, is the adversary. And the adversary says, you've done bad. You've performed wickedness. You haven't loved God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You haven't loved your neighbor as yourself. You're guilty. And are we guilty or not? Yes, we are guilty. But that's not the end of the drama in the courtroom. The end of the drama in the courtroom is that the only thing that the accuser, the adversary, can do is roar. But someone else has already roared for you. Turn to Psalm 22. In Psalm 22, we read words that Jesus Christ said from the cross. Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, went to the cross. And on the cross, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. That word groaning literally is the word roaring. The reason why the roars of the devil cannot touch you if you're in Christ is because someone else has roared in your place. The only thing louder than the roars of the devil is the roars of your Savior from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Christ was treated as if he had sinned, though he hadn't. Whose sin was it that he bore on the cross? It was my sin and your sin. And from the cross, he cried out in agony, roaring out of love for you. Roaring out of love for you. And through his sacrifice, you have been set free from the penalty of sin so that verse 21 can be true of you. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of the wild oxen. You answer me so that God the Father wouldn't devour you, consume you in his justice. God the Son cried out in roared 
roared in agony for you so that the Father could forgive you and declare you righteous. Now in 1 Peter or 1 John chapter 2 John tells us about the same courtroom scene. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. So what do you do when you fail? What do you do when you're guilty? What do you do when you hear the roar? You listen for a louder roar. You listen for your advocate, Jesus Christ. You listen to his defense. Many years ago, I heard a sermon by Tim Keller on this passage, and it changed my life. Because I thought the same way Tim Keller said he thought at one time. And in the message, he went on to explain that for many, many years in his life, and was true of me too, and maybe it's true of you, that what happens when we confess our sins, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep, today I've committed sins against you, such as, that what the Father was doing is the Father was listening to my confession, and then Jesus would come along and he would say, Oh, Dad, you really should give Dave another chance. You really should. He really means it this time. Listen, I know he's saying he's sorry for the same sin of getting angry at his kids again. I know he's coming again with this same confession, but listen, he really means it this time. And I believe in him. I really think he'll do it. I used to think that's what heaven was sort of like. Nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus Christ does not stand up before God and say, give him one more try. He'll really get it this time. Jesus Christ says, Dave has no shot at getting it. Neither do you. But I've done it for you. I am the righteous one. Jesus stands before the Father and he says, I'm the righteous one. I obeyed every jot and tittle of your law. I've done it all for them. I obeyed it all. And then Jesus says, not only have I obeyed it all, I've also given myself on the cross. And I've given myself to be their propitiation. That's a big, scary word, right? Sounds horrible, like you need to go to the doctor. Here's what it means. That all the penalty of your sin, the wrath of God that you deserved, was laid on Jesus Christ. And he bore the full penalty that your sin deserves. He satisfied once and for all the wrath of God against our sin. So when Jesus says, I'm righteous, he means you have a record that you can stand before God in. And he sees the perfect righteousness of Jesus. And the guilt of your sin has been paid for by Jesus on the cross. It's paid in full. There's no penalty left for it. 
So when the devil roars, you don't have to listen. And your heavenly father will not listen. Because he'll listen to the advocacy of his son. The righteous one who satisfied the wrath of God in your place as your substitute. Now that deals with the guilt of your sin. That deals with the guilt of it. But what about the shame? What about the relationships? What about the shame that, that grips our heart and, and makes us feel distant from God and distant from others? We'll look down in the midst of 1 Peter. What does it call us? 1 Peter 5 calls us brethren. For uh, what is being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. When I say that we're on the winning team, and when I tell you later in the service to team up, listen, those two, the point and the action step, listen, they go together, they, they extend the metaphor. But what this passage teaches is that Jesus Christ hasn't just made us a team, he's made us a family. He's made us a brotherhood. That's what the word brethren means. It means that we are men and women given the full status of sons of God. We're made a part of the brotherhood. In the courtroom of heaven, you're delivered from the guilt of your sin, but you're also delivered from the shame of it. You're made a part of God's forever family. Now, we get to come to the Lord's Supper today. But I want to ask you, do you believe this? Because it asks the question in verse 9, resist him firm in your faith. See, the gospel isn't religion. In religion, you work your head off to build up a record of righteousness that you can present to God so that he'll accept you. And in the gospel... You look to Jesus in faith that he's produced a record of righteousness for you, paid the penalty for your sin, welcomed you into God's forever family. He's dealt with the guilt of your sin and the shame of your sin. And the only question that makes any difference is whether or not you're believing in that. So are you? Listen, if you're here this morning and you're checking out a church or you're checking out Christianity, Jesus Christ is worth following, not because he's a great moral teacher. Jesus Christ is worth following, not because he'll fit perfectly with your life. Jesus Christ is worth following because he's the son of God and savior of sinners. And when you trust him alone for salvation, he will forgive all your sin, give you a record of righteousness, deal with the guilt of your sin and the shame of your sin, and he'll give you a place in his forever family that can't be taken away. Do you believe that? And if you'll receive Christ as savior... Trust in his work. And if you'll follow him as Lord, 
He will get you safely home. Through every roar of the enemy, he'll get you safely through. It may involve suffering. It may involve danger. But Jesus Christ will be with you every step of the way. So believe in him. Put your trust in him. Whatever else you're trusting in, give that up. And trust in Christ alone. What about if you are a Christian? What do you do? What do you do when the roar comes? What do you do? do? Do you think, oh, Jesus, I'll try harder next time. I'll do better. I'll do better. Or do you say, Jesus, your righteousness is all I have. Your sacrifice on, all my, on, on my behalf is all I need. Do you hold out an empty hand of faith to him and say, Jesus, all I have to give you is my need. I receive and rest and trust in you. And I'm going to keep on believing and keep on receiving until you get me safely home. That's why. That's why we love to make a big deal about Jesus. Because we're on his winning team. He's won the victory. That's why we want to team up. We want to team up because we're family. We're family. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that you would, in these moments, help us. Help us to be able to say that we believe and trust and rest in Christ alone. Jesus, I've been following you for a long time. And I'm more aware today of my need of you than I ever have been. And so I receive and trust in you for your people and with your people. Jesus, there's some here this morning who have never received you. They've never understood the good news of the gospel. And I pray that you, as you draw them by your Holy Spirit, you would enable them to say to you, Jesus, I do admit I have sinned against you and, and I'm sorry. And Jesus, I do believe that, that you are the Son of God and Savior of sinners, that you lived for me, the life I should have lived, that you died for me, the death I deserve to die, and you rose again. Jesus, I commit to you and, and ask you to be Savior and Lord of my life. And Jesus, I have no argument. I have no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died, that, that he died for me. Jesus, I'll go on believing and proclaiming the good news of this gospel, and I'll invite anyone who wants to team up in that pursuit to join in the power of the Holy Spirit to go and tell the world of the love of one who is our master, who has all dominion forever and ever. 
Amen.